If you've got a copy of God's Word, would you grab it this morning and go with me to the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, and uh, we're going to read some scripture there as a starting point today, and then I want to continue on with several other selected verses of scripture from Ephesians as well as a few other places. My name is Chris. I get to serve as the lead pastor here. I'm honored to do so. I hope you've had a great week this last week. And as Pastor Cynthia said, I hope that you're getting ready for a phenomenal week this coming week. Uh, There's a lot of exciting things happening here, and uh, it's going to be a great remainder of summer. But uh, I I raised my hands for both questions earlier. I don't know if that's allowed, but if you like summer and you like fall, or you just enjoy all of it, I just put all my hands up. So Ephesians chapter 6, I want to read to you verses 10, 11, and 12, and... um, if you're, if you're with us this week and you weren't here last week, I want to encourage you to go back and listen to the message last week that helped us recognize how we got to where we are today in this battle of God and the enemy, good and evil, sin and righteousness. Uh, you're going to learn before we're done in this conversation that in many ways it's a battle for us in some sense. But you're going to learn that in reality, the battle has already been won and settled by the finished work of Jesus. And then you're going to learn how for us to battle in this war. I want to start today in Ephesians chapter 6. This is really one message over the course of multiple weeks, so I encourage you to track along with us. Ephesians 6 verse 10, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not, somebody say not, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now, if you've ever read through Paul writing to the Ephesians, the church at Ephesus. He doesn't spend a lot of time addressing any kind of conflict in the church at Ephesus like he does with some of his other letters. I mean, you read his letter to the Corinthians, you think, my goodness, are these people even saved? I mean, it's really full of issues that Paul was having to address. But Ephesus uh, is different. Uh, Paul really captured more of a desire for believers to continue to grow in Christ and what we really have in Christ and what God has for us. In fact, when I read the, the letter to the Ephesians, I think more that Paul has in his personal life gained understanding and revelation about what it means to journey with Jesus And he's got such a pastoral heart for these places that he pioneered to work that he's writing back to them and saying, I can can just tell you what I've experienced and I want you to experience the same thing. I want you to know what it means to walk with Jesus. I want you to know what it means to experience the spiritual blessings of Christ. And not just in this moment when you're together as a corporate body, I want you to learn what this means through your entire life, every day of your life, what it means to walk with Jesus. So he talks about the blessings of being a Jesus follower, that God has provided everything we need through Jesus. He talks about practical application in his letter to the Ephesians and how the church at Ephesus is to be the church, not just gather at a church, but be the church, how to live a Christ-like life in daily life among all different types of relationships. And then he ends his letter 
where we just read a moment ago in Ephesians chapter 6 by writing about the spiritual war that all Jesus followers are engaged in. Here's what we established last week. Here's where we'll pick up in Ephesians chapter 6 today. We have a real enemy leading an organized attack against God's plans and against God's people. We have a real enemy leading an organized attack against God's plans and God's people. The enemy, or the devil, or Satan, as the common language of the Scripture gives us, he is not just some figure or fable, he's real. He, as we talked about last week, was created to be an angelic being, maybe even the lead angelic being, worshiping God, and instead wanted to be worshipped himself. So he rebelled against God, and he took a, likely a third of the angels with him, and those have become demon powers, spirits, evil spirits, and now he is at work against everything God and against everything of God's people. Notice what Ephesians chapter 6 teaches us. In verse 11, Paul uses the language of the devil's schemes. Now, I don't know that you scheme against people very frequently, hopefully not. And uh, I don't know that you use the word scheme oftentimes, but a scheme is a, a strategy or a method. And, and if you study the original word here, you begin to realize it's a strategy or method that often includes trickery or deceit. How can I trap? How can I come against? How can I create issues? How can I distract, destruct, destroy? All sorts of things. You think about a, an NFL team. Uh, you think about the Vikings last night. It seems like their rush defense wasn't prepared for the game. Anybody else notice that? The Titans ran for 281 yards last night. Just throwing that out there, right? So we got to clean that up. And I'm talking to that Georgia Bulldog that's on their defense, Lewis Seen. But anyway, we need to clean that up. I'm messing with you today. Uh, we need to clean that up. But, but what an NFL team does, you, you see it play out on the field, but there's a lot more things that are happening behind the scenes in order for that team to get ready for what's ahead. They watch hours upon hours of film, they get in a room together with the position players of their group and they spend time digesting what this team is known for, digesting what their plan of attack has been before. And then those coaches together, the coordinators and the head coach and the different specialty coaches of all those different positions groups, they're all designing a plan to attack that other team to find their holes, to find their gaps, to find their struggles and weaknesses. And so they go out and the offense typically wears this band sometimes on their arm, especially the quarterback. Sometimes you'll see other players wear it too, but they've got plays, and those plays are being called in a way to oftentimes build on each other and to strategically attack that other team so that they can conquer them. I mean, the whole goal is that a team wants to beat the other team, right? So, so if you can take that thought process and, and understand that the enemy, the way Scripture is describing it here, he's scheming against us. There's a strategy. He's not just willy-nilly throwing darts and, and blindly up against the wall and hoping something sticks. He's looking for our weaknesses. He's looking for our areas of struggle. He's looking for our areas of doubt that he can add to. He's strategically looking to attack our lives. Verse 12, Paul gives us indication that there is not only have we learned organization and structure to the angelic beings that are righteous and pure and serving God, but we also have indication here in Scripture 
that there seems to be an organization or a structure even to demons and powers and evil spirits and evil authorities. This is not some willy-nilly, let's just go out and do whatever we do. This is strategically the enemy organizing his crew in such a way as to attack Jesus' followers and come against the plan of God. Now, Jesus' followers should never be fearful of the evil working against God and us, but we are instructed in Scripture, strongly instructed in Scripture, even in this passage and in others, to be aware that this is a real war. That we have a real enemy with a real strategy. And if you can think of even a military group, they're trying to strategically advance. Jesus said in John 10.10, I've come to give you life. I've come to give you life more abundantly to the full. But he said, the thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy. There's no more extreme opposites than what Jesus and Satan have for your life. Jesus wants everything good for you and for ultimately you to be in eternity with him forever, not under enduring any more of the suffering that's going on in the world, no more effects of sin. And Satan wants to take you to hell with him. There's no more opposite extremes than Jesus and Satan. Peter would write in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, that we are to be alert and sober mind, of sober mind, to be aware, to be attentive. Not that we should get to a point, as I said last week, where we have an unhealthy uh, attention to the enemy or give him too much credit. I think sometimes we like to, to speak of the enemy as if he's so much like God. Somehow he's everywhere. Somehow he causes everything. Somehow he knows all this stuff. The reality is, just remember that the enemy first was a created being, which means he is limited and not at equal to the Creator. So these are not two enemies that are equal coming against each other. This is God the Almighty, supreme over all things, creator over all things, fighting against a lesser one who wants that attention. Are you with me? But there is a real enemy, and Peter said we need to be alert of that. We need to be of sober mind that the enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Any of you ever been to Disney World Animal Kingdom? Anybody? Okay, about four of you. You probably have more money in your savings account than I do, too. Okay, we've been, I don't know, two or three times, and, and honestly, we, we probably went at a time when our youngest child at that time was too young to even remember it. So, you know what that means. We have to go back again at some time in the future, which, anyway, whatever you think about Disney World, I'll just tell you, here's the truth about it. It's a really, really expensive experience. Really, really expensive experience. Animal Kingdom is probably one of my favorite places in Disney World, to be honest with you. And, and it is, it's the safari ride. It's the getting on the, the wagon, for the, the safari ride, and you get to go out into what feels like more of a wild area that you would find somewhere in Africa. And you see all these animals, the giraffes and all these different things. It seems like every time we come by the lions, they're just lazy laying on top of a rock somewhere. They're not moving they're not roaring. They're not doing anything. Well, it's because that during the day they're resting and they come out later. 
And I think about those things when I think about what Peter says in 1 Peter 5, 8, that he prowls around like a roaring lion. He doesn't come when it's obvious. He doesn't always come in an easy way to recognize. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But he's looking for a way. He's attempting to find a way to come in and to devour. We shouldn't be unaware, and we certainly shouldn't play games with Satan and with darkness. We've established that we have a real enemy in a real spiritual war. So what do the enemy's strategies look like? How does this play out in our lives? How do we recognize them? Well, in some ways, there's a, a both, a, we talked about it last week, there's both a, an invisible and a visible, right? Many of the enemy's tactics, many of the things that he's doing, we don't necessarily see him playing those things out. In the visible realm, a lot of things are taking place in ways that we can't even naturally see it. But there are some times that the enemy is so at work that we can see some of those things play out in the visible realm. I'll touch on really quickly, and and when you talk about this subject, this seems to be one of the topics of spiritual war that people really get hung up on. There's a lot of debate sometimes over who can be, who can't be. But I'll touch on really quickly the reality of demon possession as documented in Scripture. And I listed just just three accounts here in Scripture, Mark 5, Luke 4, and Acts chapter 16. Um, I, I want to I just mention and talk about briefly demon possession, but I don't want to spend our whole time here. Because I think that most likely, many of you in this room, many of you listening are Jesus followers, so demon possession is not the focus of the enemy's attacks in your life. There are other ways that the enemy comes in. But I do want to just touch on this, just to hopefully bring a little bit of clarity. The demon possession is when a demon or demonic spirit or evil power, or in some cases in Scripture we find multiple evil powers dwell in someone who is not a Jesus follower. And typically when this possession is present, there is control that is being exhibited. We see this in Jesus' earthly ministry. We see it in the early church, not in the Jesus followers, but in other people they would encounter and interact with throughout their travels and journeys. Now, when we read even just these three passages of Scripture, and I encourage you, you can go back and read them. When you read these passages, and you can read others, it tells us that possession can result in a lot of different evidences. Uh, They can range anywhere from one or more demons being present They can range to a man or a woman having uncommon strength or power compared to someone ordinarily. Uh, We see some sickness. We even see some mental distortion or, or mental health issues. Now let me pause for a moment to make sure you hear me on this. That does not mean that we should assume every mental distortion or every mental health issue in our lifetime or in our world is demonic. we got to make sure and talk about this because... Mental health is a major topic of conversation in our world today. And in years gone by, the church, the body of Christ, has not always handled that conversation in a really good way. At times, it's been taboo. At times, people have tried to say, well, if you you just had enough faith in Jesus, you wouldn't have those issues. People have made some really harsh and harmful comments to people dealing with legitimate challenges of depression and anxiety, chemical and balances, uh, childhood or earlier in life experiences that have brought on trauma and affected their present and future. There are so many more pieces to any conversation surrounding mental health, okay? So we are not suggesting 
that any issue of mental health is always tied to demonic. We know that there are a lot of other factors that can contribute to our battles in this life, right? You with me? Don't misquote me on that, okay? We do see that play out some when it comes to Jesus' interaction with demon-possessed people. We see physical convulsions. We see that enemy, uh, the demonic presence throwing people into dangerous situations. We hear, we hear in Jesus' time vocal expressions or words being said to Jesus. There's bondage, there's harm, there's destruction. This, when we talk about demon possession, we're talking about the extreme of the demonic influence in someone's life. We're not talking about um, just, just what we'll talk about later with the enemy trying to come in and affect thoughts or the enemy trying to set traps or things of that nature. We're talking about the extreme of demonic influence in someone's life. And I would go far enough to say we're probably dealing with people who somewhere along the way have opened their lives up to the demonic in an extreme way as well. And I'll, I'll touch on that in just a moment. There are a few things I want to make sure you hear from me when it comes to what Scripture teaches us about demon possession. Number one, the demons of Jesus' early ministry all recognized Jesus. The demons all recognized Jesus, and they acknowledged His presence and authority. In fact, I find it interesting, and, and maybe I'm over-reading just a touch in the text, but there are occasions where it seems like Jesus does some of the greatest miracles and even sets people free within the synagogues. I find it interesting that in the synagogues were the people who were supposed to be most religious and yet people were among them living in bondage. I'm just throwing it out there today that let's be the church where people can truly be set free and not just be a religious people that deny the power of God. Okay? So, but number one, the, the demons all recognize Jesus. They, they know who Jesus is. They call him by name. They acknowledge his presence and authority. We see no demon remain when Jesus was on the scene. He always set people free. Always. Jesus' followers cannot be demon-possessed. When we talk about demon-possessed, we're talking about full control because when we became saved, as we are walking and dwelling in Jesus, we have traded our own leadership and the leadership of the demonic powers of this world. We have placed another leader on the throne of our lives, and his name is Jesus. And the Bible is clear that he who is in us, John, 1 John 4, 4, is greater than he that is in the world. World. So to imply that we could have the Holy Spirit, God, the third person of the Trinity, and the devil possessing us at the same time doesn't align with Scripture. That's not to say someone can't be unaware of opening their lives, or that's not to say that we can't open some doors or windows sometimes. It's not to say that there shouldn't be caution. It's to say that this full extreme control is not what Scripture teaches. John chapter 10, verse 28, Jesus said, No one on the external, if you will, will be able to snatch them out of my hand. That tells us there is no enemy or no force or no power that is greater than Jesus that can come along to snatch us out of Jesus' hand. Okay? And then there's a verse of Scripture in 1 Corinthians 6.14. You can go study this for yourself. In context, the Apostle Paul is talking about an unbeliever and a believer choosing to form union together. And he poses this question, what fellowship can light have with darkness? How do light and darkness coexist? And the simple answer is, they don't. 
If you walk into that room in your home later tonight after it gets dark and you hit that switch or you turn on a flashlight, darkness cannot stay, right? So there is no coexisting. As Jesus' followers, we give our lives over to God so that the Holy Spirit may lead and control every part of our lives. Now, that does not mean that there aren't times where we drift away from God, where we begin to entertain lies of the enemy. We'll talk about it in a moment. That does not mean that we can never have any attack from the enemy or even oppression or even some things that the enemy wants to do in our lives. But when we talk about full, extreme work of the enemy in this idea of possession, we as Jesus followers have the light of God living in us. So we should never live in fear of being demon-possessed, but we should be aware of how we open our lives and what we entertain in our lives. Which brings me a little bit more to that invisible realm, the things that maybe it's harder for us to put a finger on or to see as clearly, but are happening in this world. Most of, I would go far enough to say, most of the ways that the enemy works, these aren't things that are visible to the naked eye, and they're not often to that full extreme of demon possession. It happens. In fact, if you talk to missionary units all over the world, it seems like demon possession happens much more in other places, or perhaps in America, we've just settled with letting it happen. All of that to say, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 27, this is a good verse of Scripture for you to remember The Apostle Paul wrote earlier in the book of Ephesians, Do not give the devil a foothold. Do not give the devil a foothold. Now, if I said to you, uh, tonight when you have dinner, or this week in your life group when you have dinner, don't invite the enemy to supper. That's going to seem pretty obvious. I don't plan on inviting this guy in a red jumpsuit with a pitchfork and a pointed tail to come to dinner. Or at least that's how people think. That idea of foothold means you're giving someone a seat at your table. You're giving them a place or a room in your life. You're giving someone an opportunity to get in. Now some of the things I'm about to describe are, as Jesus followers, should be obvious. Uh, Some of the things that I'm about to mention may be obvious to you, but I'm at a place in life and ministry in the world that we live that I take nothing for granted, believing that there could be someone who is new to this journey with Jesus. I want to go far enough to say today that there is a major spiritual curiosity in our world today. You, You see it play out even in some of the media content that is driven so hard today. Uh, some of the, the most popular shows are the things at least you see in the commercials frequently, uh, if you watch commercials anymore. But if you, if you pay attention, a lot of the things that are being pushed are things like ghost hunting and summoning the dead people to talk to them, things of that nature. So when we talk about this curiosity in the spirit world, we have to declare that in our world there may be some curiosity. It may even be that in us there is a planted curiosity to understand there's something greater than we are, but people are looking to the wrong sources to find those answers. And so I want to I urge you as Jesus followers, I, I, when I was growing up it was Ouija boards. 
Don't, don't touch and don't play with Ouija boards, right? But that's not it anymore. If it is, maybe you just don't hear about it as much, but I think we've progressed as a society to where we're entertaining a lot of other things more than just that. I said ghost hunting, summoning the dead to talk to them, witchcraft, sorcery, things like horoscopes, um, media content that plants seeds of impure thoughts or actions. I'm amazed at what some people will watch just because they're learning. But in the process of learning, they're opening the door and opening the avenue to thoughts and things that are unclean, that are unhealthy. There's a great scriptural basis for avoiding these things. Now, as I said a moment ago, to many people, these things probably seem pretty obvious. I don't anticipate that any of you were in Minneapolis in the last couple of weeks at the Walker Arts District summoning demons and befriending them. Yeah, we just, we just, we just uh, make them out to be worse than they are. We should befriend them. We should call on them. And the artist is there to create quote-unquote demon traps for you to invite the demons there. This is real stuff happening in your front yard, ladies and gentlemen. So I, I, I don't anticipate those are the things that, that you're battling. I don't anticipate as a Jesus follower that you're putting yourself into those things. And if, if you're trying to follow Jesus and you are playing with this spiritual world and some of the things that are out there, I just want to caution you today to stop. I want to caution you today to not, to not do those things, to not engage in those things, and to be fully aware, as Scripture says, alert and of sober mind to what you are allowing. It kind of reminds me of that uh, when I was a kid... It was everybody wanted to listen to the music for the beat. Maybe I'm really getting old now. Everybody wanted to let yeah, I'm, I'm just listening to that song because I like the music. I like the beat. I like the maybe I just grew up hip hop. I don't know, but uh, I just like the beat. Well, the the reality is though, if you listen to that, a lot of times, even just once or twice, it's amazing how quickly you can start reiterating or, or reciting the words of that material. Well, I'm just watching this to learn. I'm just watching this to see. Just be cautious and aware of what you're allowing in. I want to go a step further. Because oftentimes those are the things we think about. It's the obvious. It's the, it's the things, of course we shouldn't go there. Of course she, we shouldn't touch that. But it's also an error just as much for us to think that the devil's going to show up in a red suit and a pitchfork with a pointed tail to come over your place for dinner. It'd be silly to think that way. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14, that Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. What does that mean? That means he ain't coming to you the way you think he's coming to you. He's not going to be obvious every time. He's not going to show up in the way that you may imagine. It may not always be these blatantly obvious things. But he's trying to sneak in and to hack in and to plant thoughts and to deceive and divide and distort and disrupt and destroy. Now, let me go one step further. If you think it's just about demon possession and if you think it's about uh, being involved in wrong activities and all of the different things we've talked about, I want you to take Ephesians chapter 4, verse 27, and I want us to put it back in context to what the Apostle Paul is writing about. When he says, do not give the devil a foothold, it doesn't actually talk about here the obvious work of the enemy that we've just referenced 
do not give the devil a foothold actually comes in conversation about relationships and interactions with other people. Do not be angry. Be angry and sin not. Uh, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Do not give the devil a foothold. And he ends that chapter with be kind and tenderhearted to one another, forgiving one another, even as God through Christ has forgiven you. You say today, well, I don't engage in all the wicked stuff. I'm not out here summoning demons and befriending demons, so I think I'm all good. But I would ask you, what about your relationships with other people? When we refuse to get rid of old wounds and hurts, but instead we hold on to them and let them fester in us, when we refuse to admit our wrongs, when we refuse to forgive other people who have wronged us, when we refuse to lay down our rights for the sake of other people, we give place to ongoing conflict rather than biblical resolution. Scripture is teaching us that we actually open the door to the enemy. And I would tell you very, very plainly, the enemy wants to divide people. Play back what has happened in our world in the last three years. Even in the body of Christ, in the church, we've seen division. And I'm not asking you to cheer when I say your right answer, okay? But we have, we have seen division even in the church world over wear a mask or don't wear a mask. Vaccine or don't vaccine. COVID is real, COVID isn't real. COVID was created in Wuhan, China. COVID is just a treat of somebody in America trying to cause problems. I'm Republican. I'm Democrat. Got news for you. Those temptations to be divided are going to continue. In fact, we're, we're coming up on another one of those election years. And it's going to get ugly, and I'm not sure any of them need to be leading the country. But that's a different conversation for another time. My point being, the enemy wants to divide people. But it's not even always over those kinds of issues. Sometimes it's in your marriage. When, when the enemy wants you to believe that that partner, that spouse is your enemy, but, but, but the enemy wants a place in with parents and children, with co-workers, even among Jesus followers, when fractures happen in our relationships, if we don't deal with those in a scriptural way, offense will open our lives to the thoughts and work of the enemy. I would suggest today that much of the battle of the enemy takes place in our minds. Uh, I, I don't know that I've ever read the complete book, but I remember several years ago, Joyce Meyer wrote a book uh, called The Battlefield of the Mind. E even if you haven't read it, the title alone makes good sense. So much of the battle with the enemy takes place in our minds. He, he does like to and want to plant thoughts. He wants to create doubt and distortion. We'll talk about that in a moment. He wants to do his best to deceive us into thinking that things that are not true. So in our relationships, it looks something like this. We can do it on ourselves and he can help us, I can promise you. Did you hear what they said? They must have meant this rather than just what they said. Can you believe they did that to you? They are the enemy. See, Satan, the word Satan literally means accuser. So if he can plant these wrongful accusations in your mind about others, he'll do it. He'll make other people out to be the enemy. Or we spread things to other people rather than taking the Matthew 18 approach and going to a person if we have an issue with him or her. 
Now, where I want to wrap up today in these next few moments is I want to talk very plainly with you about how the enemy in your mind wants to create doubt and distortion and to deceive you, not necessarily even about others, but specifically about God, His character, and His Word. I want you to go with me, if you will. If you've got a copy of God's Word, Genesis chapter 3, familiar passage of Scripture. Genesis chapter 3, we know it commonly as the fall of man or the rebellion of man, the disobedience of man towards God. We often picture a little apple involved in all of this. But I want to show you the words of the enemy and help you get a picture today, hopefully, of just how he wants to work in your life. Because I think it's too obvious for the enemy to come against you and try to get you to go summon demons. It's too obvious to, for the enemy to come along and try to get you to do some of these other things that we've talked about today. More than anything, he wants to create this doubt and this distortion, and he wants to deceive you. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. Now remember, God's created everything. Everything is pure. It's perfect. It's righteous. It's good. God said multiple occasions. So the serpent comes in, and he said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat any?" You must not eat from any tree in the garden. Notice that phrase, did God really say? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, Paul's right there, the enemy's not going to tempt you with something that's not appeasing. He, he also knows your personality. He knows the struggles inwardly. He, there are some things there that he's going he's to try to tap into that area in your life. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Notice, when they ate of that fruit, their eyes became opened. They weren't even aware of sinfulness. They weren't aware of good and evil, right and wrong. They, all they had was the Word of God to go on. I want you to notice how the serpent... Scripture indicates that Satan took control of this serpent. Notice how he interacts with Eve. The first being, did God really say? So there's doubt. If he can create doubt in your mind, did God really say? Is that really in his word? Did God really speak that promise over your life even? And then he said things like, you must not eat from any tree in the garden. And things like, you will not certainly die. And here again is deceit. Lies. In fact, Jesus would refer to him as the father of lies. This idea that when he speaks, he's lying. If the enemy's working, he's lying. You will be like God. And ultimately, that phrase is a distortion in the sense of, notice, remember last week when we talked about the enemy and how he failed? It was a prideful craving in and of himself to be in power and control and to be in his own leader and to be worshipped himself. And now he's trying to encourage this desire to be your own God. That sounds kind of like what's happening in our world. And ultimately, when we look at this, 
This is Genesis 3, and we think, wow, this is such a long time ago, but the methods of the enemy are still the same today. Can the enemy get you to doubt God's word? Can the enemy get you to doubt God's word? Can he get you to doubt God's character and his goodness and his motives towards you? Especially when you find yourself in a tough moment in life, when things aren't going the way you expected, or things aren't going the way you wanted them to go, or things aren't going the way you thought they would. And the enemy comes along and says, you know, if God really loved you, this wouldn't be happening. If God really was taking good care of you, why why wouldn't he protect you from this? And there's some complex answers that we could walk through in all of this about how God allows some things for our benefit in order that our faith in Him may grow. But the point being, what the enemy wants you to do is doubt that God really cares about you and loves you. Can He get you to twist God's Word? To distort it? Well, yeah, that's in there, but it was was centuries ago. Well, yeah, that's in there, but that was then, and this is now. And, and um, God, God really wants me to be happy. To a point that it doesn't matter. Can he get you to, to twist that word in order to adapt it in a way that, that fits the way of life that you want to live rather than you allowing God to change your life to fit his word? He doesn't show up. The enemy doesn't show up in a red suit or try to to just possess you blatantly. If he can just deceive you, if he can just create doubt or distortion and his seeds get inside of you and then continue to grow, did Jesus really die for you? Are you really forgiven of all you did in your past? Does your spouse really love you? Does it really matter if you go out just this one time and drink this one time and flirt just this one time? Does it really matter if you tell a white lie? If he can get you to doubt, if he can get you to twist, if he can get you to distort, if he can get you to do those things, here's this open door where he's coming in to have a hold, a foothold in your life. Several weeks ago, I talked about the difference between someone who is living in the world but is not following Jesus and someone who is following Jesus. You may remember this picture of us living in two different worlds Anybody remember that? We, we, are, we are in the flesh. We're still living in the world. We're still dealing with some things in that way. But then we also have this second circle we're living in where now the Holy Spirit is our helper and he's helping us to conquer the flesh. This is without Jesus. This is someone who's living without the work of the Holy Spirit in their life indwelling them and trying to point them to Christ and the truth. So here's a person who's living with the flesh controlling and the enemy controlling and the world controlling. Is it any wonder if this is the case that we're seeing what we're seeing in our world today? Is it any wonder that we have a rise of false teachers in our world today? What do I mean by false teachers? I mean people who will give it to you like it's the gospel truth, but they've taken scripture and they've twisted it and and are, are gratifying the ears how they want to hear it rather than giving the truth. Now, Scripture, I'll go far enough to say really quickly, Scripture goes far enough to say that those who teach God's Word will be held accountable, even doubly accountable. So there are false teachers, I believe, who will give an account who are actually leading people into eternal separation from God. 
Is it any wonder that we see sin and morality in our, immorality in our world today? Because if, if I remove God, or I'm not following Jesus to begin with, if God is not on the throne of my life, well, I can do whatever I want to do, whatever feels good in that moment. I make my own rules. I write my own truth. Or at least that's what culture says. Is it any wonder that we see pride and hatred? Is it any wonder that we are living in a time when people are very confused? Scripture says it this way. In Romans chapter 1, verse 25, people have exchanged the truth about God for a lie. Next week, we come to this place of saying, okay, how do we respond to this? If this is the attack of the enemy, if this is how he's working, if this is how he's wanting to get in, if he's wanting to, to work this way, if he's strategic in all this, okay, how do we, how do we handle this? And how do, how do we live fighting from that place of victory rather than fighting for victory, understanding that Jesus has already won the victory? Then how do we stand firm in this? How do we combat the enemy's attempts in our lives? And I want to be careful not to create a theology that would be um, misaligned with Scripture. I want to be careful not to, not to lead you in any way that would be inaccurate by the Word of God. But I, I will admit that I've wondered. Scripture teaches that there's coming a day when there will be nothing holding back the work of the enemy. We, we see that play out in the last days and into most likely even tribulation, great tribulation times in Scripture and in the fullness of a person known as the Antichrist and just the ongoing work of the enemy. And, and it seems very clear in Scripture that, that what Scripture is referring to is that the church, the body of Christ, and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in us, once we are taken out in this rapture to be with Christ, that then there's, there's no restraint there's nothing left to, to push back against the enemy. What am I saying? I'm saying we are the ones who are pushing back against darkness right now. If there's any hope for darkness to be expelled, we are the ones who are, Jesus said, the light of the world. That's us. But I just wonder in this time leading up to that moment, me speaking, I, again, I don't want to create it in such a way, but I do know that the Apostle Paul told Timothy that in the last days there will be perilous times, and there seems to be some evidence in Scripture that there's going to be some, some worsening of what's happening. And I just wonder today, how important is it for us to be so alert and of sober mind and attentive because the enemy is going to want to try to pull away every Jesus follower he can while he's still got time. Again, I think there's scriptural evidence for this when the Bible says that if not careful in these latter days, that even the elect could be deceived. But again, I don't think it's going to come in some of those blatant ways, particularly in your life as a Jesus follower. I think it's going to come. Can, can God... We sing about it this morning. 
we sing about the goodness of God. Pastor Nick quoted from Psalm 23, verse 6. Uh, the King James says, Surely His goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's this idea that God is chasing after. He's pursuing us. He wants to pour into our lives. He wants to protect and keep. That whole chapter is about Him shepherding our lives. How much more does the enemy, as a wolf, as a liar... How much does he want to come in and say, well, can you really believe that? Is he really good? Is he really wanting to do those things in your life? Is God really going to keep his word and his promises? That's how he's going to come in. I want us to, next week, spend some time talking about the importance of truth and how we have to cling to that truth in order to win this battle in our minds even. Today, I want us to start by responding and saying, Lord, is there any area in my life that's distorted right now? Is there any area in my life where I'm deceived, that my eyes aren't opened to truth, and, and somehow I've, I've let this lie and this deceit creep in? Is there any area in my life of doubt? Am I struggling to believe in you in some way? Is my faith weakened because I'm battling through something? Is it, what, what's going on in me? I find that God knows us well. And we can come to Him maybe even and be honest today and say, God, this is an area of my life where I'm struggling and I'm doubting because I feel like it hasn't happened yet or I feel like it's not, nothing is happening in the natural sight. Or uh, There could be so many examples. But today, can we just simply start by saying, God, if there's any of this in me, if there's any open door in my life, if there's any things that maybe I need to pull away from rather than allowing them, Let's respond in those ways. Would you stand with me today all across the room? If you are online, I'd love for you to be able to take a few moments to respond as well. I want to ask you very simply today to bow your heads and close your eyes. And this is not a religious exercise for me. I just want you to be able to focus on you and God right now and not be distracted by anything else, including me. I want you to be able to, to really sincerely come before God in humility and say, God, if there's anything in me, any area of my life that, that I've let lies dictate, that I've been deceived or that I have doubt, maybe you can recognize some of that today. Maybe you can recognize some of the battle that you're dealing with. God, we come to you today and we simply want to live obediently to your word. And your word says that we need to be alert and of sober mind. We need to be aware. We need to be aware, oh God, of the day we're living in. We need to be aware of your truth and your character. And we need to be aware of the enemy's attempt to come against us. And Lord, I, I pray... Even as, we, even as we move through this conversation today and in the next week, and uh, Lord, as we navigate this conversation, I pray not that fear would take over, not that people would walk around thinking there's a devil around every corner that's crouching just to, just to try to take control. But Lord, more than anything, just be aware that there, there is someone who would like to throw us off the right path who would like to take the guardrail away so that we go down the cliff, so to speak. Um, 
Lord, that we would just, just be aware when, when thoughts are entering our minds or, or things in our hearts, the things that are not healthy, that are not right. That today we would see that. Whether that's we recognize it or whether that's you're showing us and revealing things to us about ourselves. God, we just want to be open to you that you may work in us and change us and transform us. That we would not be a people who are easily swayed by what the enemy would try to do, but that we would be a people who are confident in you and in your word and in your character, oh God. God, if there's any area of our lives where we're, we're leaving the door open to evil, where we're, we're leaving the door open to different things that could be happening in our lives or different content that we could be allowing in our lives or in our family. God, we just, I pray, God, we shut those doors by the help of the Holy Spirit. I pray that we, we not consider it old-fashioned or old-school, Lord, to, to truly want to live a holy life pleasing to you, God. That we recognize the potential danger that can be of playing games with this, Lord. That, that the enemy would love to just sneak it in in different ways, Lord. Help us to be aware. Help us to be alert. I pray, oh God, help us to deal with any of, any of these areas in our lives of distortion or doubt or deceit. I pray also for people today, we, we really didn't get a chance to touch on it too much, but Lord, I pray also for the temptation that comes along. Lord, our flesh is weak. Uh, we know that the spirit is willing. The flesh is weak. Lord, we know that there's temptation. We know that the enemy wants to point us in a direction that is opposed to your plan for our lives. The enemy wants to point us in a direction that is, that is destructive. So, Lord, I pray your Holy Spirit help us. And that we would rise in truth and in your power. We know the Holy Spirit will always lead us into all truth and help us to remember the things you've taught us. So, Lord, we're leaning into you today that we might walk in these ways that please you. Thank you, Lord. Father, we pray for others in our world today who are deceived, who are spiritually blind, who are led astray by the flesh and the philosophies of the world and even the work of the enemy. We pray for awareness and opened eyes. We pray, O oh God, that hearts and minds would be open to you, O oh Lord, that godly people would become greater influences in these lives. And somehow, some way, by the convicting work of the Holy Spirit, people would be aware of truth, of who you are, Jesus, and of what you've done. Even in our, our workplaces, even in our families, even in our neighborhoods, oh Lord. People who need you, who need to know the truth, Lord. God, we pray for open eyes and open hearts. And we pray that we could be used of you in this journey of helping to expose the lies of the enemy. And to shine light on who you are and what you've done. I pray that we would be faithful even this week to pray over those who come to mind even right now. Who need truth God we pray for answers to these prayers and we thank you for working in us in Jesus name